Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Was that not good or what? Show some love for our little boys and girls and all the workers. Now, I, you know, if, you, if you're a man, you've been married for a long, you're familiar with what, what is, what is uh, actually uh, termed as uh, stink eye. You know what stink eye is? That's when you say something and your wife goes, and she puts a stinky on you. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know when that started. It started like in kindergarten. Because when uh, Elijah Miller was saying, doing a little, you know, going to claim some territory, Okay, little Thompson girl, she wasn't going to have none of that. I saw the stink eye right there, Josie. You stay, you taught them, train up a child. Y'all put that on them early, all right? Wow, that's so cool. That, now, uh, I feel like that Christmas program sometimes, during the chorus, they're going like this, and then when they get to the J-O-I, yeah, that's what it feels like. That's what I feel like every Sunday morning, the whole service. And then I say, amen, see y'all next week. Hey, y'all are ready to go, all right? Today, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, we're not going to cover the whole chapter, which we normally try to do, uh, because in January, we're starting a brand new mini-series on prayer and fasting. And so, eat up, because in January, we're fasting, okay? And part of that is, Daniel's going to help us get into that, because he teaches us about the, the power of prayer and fasting. But in chapter 9, I couldn't completely miss the whole thing, because arguably the greatest prophetic verses in all of God's Word is found in Daniel chapter 9. And it's referring to this thing known as the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now this is really powerful stuff. Now I saw uh, Mike had a hope was a cup of coffee. Or maybe had some sugar in there. Maybe you tanked up. Hopefully you all are ready to go because your minds are going to have to work today. And at the end of the service you're going to get in your car and one of them is going to say, did you know what he's talking about? And the other one's going to say, uh-uh. And he's going to say, well, he was excited because I'm excited. And I hope not that you'll be excited about me. I hope that God helps you see the power of prophecy and the power of the fact that God knows the future as well as he knows the past because he transcends the time continuum. He's outside of that. And so he sees it all like in a fraction of a second. And that's what's cool to know about God because he's a big God. He's a good God. And we're going to see that today in chapter 9. So now, let's get into it. Daniel now is about 85, 90 years old. He's an old dude, okay? And he's still faithful to God. And he's walked with God for all of these years while in captivity under all of these different empires. And, and what's beautiful about it is when you read it, you see that it wasn't just Daniel walking with God. It's God walking with Daniel. It reciprocates. And I want you to know this morning, he is, our, he is a role model for us that when we dive into God, He dives into us. And when we walk with God, He walks with us. He, we're not just walking around and He's out there watching. He gets in the game with us. And that's what He did in the life of Daniel. Now, no matter what changes came in Daniel's life, God was still God in Daniel's world. And I want you to know 2020 was a weird year. Amen? That's good to know. Y'all aren't even convinced that 2020 was a weird year. I get, get frustrated because you don't get excited about Scripture. You can't even, that's good. Y'all are y'all risen above the pandemic. I like it, okay? And so no matter what happens, God's still God, and 2021 is going to present its own challenges. It may be a different flavor than 2020, but God 
is still going to be on his throne. And if you let him, he'll still be God over all of it. Now, imagine this. Seventy years Daniel has not been able to attend local temple service. Okay? Spin it forward 2,500 years. Let's just imagine 70 years have gone by in your life and you have not been able to attend church for some of y'all. It's like, okay, that's the world we live in. I want you to know we shouldn't take for granted what God has granted us. He gives us the freedom to worship Him, to come together corporately in what's called today, not the temple, but the church. Don't take that for granted. There's some people who took it for granted. There's some people who use the uh, pandemic as another excuse to take for granted what God has granted us. We don't need to do that. Daniel now is hurting, man. He's missed it. The Bible says that three times every day he would go to his home. He was prime minister over all of Babylon. He'd go to his room, swing open the doors toward Jerusalem and pray of a time when it would be restored, when he would get to go home, when he would get to go be a part of the temple service. I mean, he was hungry for it, all right? And so now everything is changing, and, and Daniel still remains faithful. So let's look and see what happens in Daniel 1, uh, Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2. This will get us into the chapter, and then we're going to skip some, some verses. Verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, right here, he's a, like a dinosaur or something, I don't know. If you can say his name, good luck. He says, who was of Median descent and who had been appointed king over the Babylonian Empire. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, came to understand from the sacred books. Good point right there. He's searching. He's reading scripture. And on this day, he understood. And I want you to know, you need to be in God's word, digging and scratching and clawing and praying. And there will be a moment when God will help you understand. He said, according to the word of the Lord, disclosed to the prophet Jeremiah, the years for the fulfilling of the desolation of Jerusalem were 70 in number. Now, I want you to remember 70 years. 70 years is a powerfully cool number. One, it has a seven in it, which is the mark of perfection, the number of perfection. Seventy is used a lot in God's Word, and we're going to see 70 years a lot today. We're going to see the number 70. Now, we've got to unpack a whole lot. So Daniel, he's already, we've already seen he's accustomed to praying three times a day. Today, he introduces to us to the other thing that is a discipline in his life. He reads Scripture. Now, he refers to Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. This is really cool. Because Jeremiah was a contemporary, meaning he lived about the same time as Daniel did. Jeremiah lived just before Daniel. Now, Jeremiah had written a book called Jeremiah. It's in our Bible. But at this point, it had not been canonized, meaning that Jews had not said, this is officially God's word. But we find Daniel, he's reading it like it's gospel, like it, it's the most important book in the Bible. He had his hands on the law, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch of Moses. He had his, uh, his hands on history. He had his hands on prophetic words. And he had his hands, some believe, on the original scroll that Jeremiah had written on. I mean, the, the ink had just dried. He's still got the scroll. And so he's praying, he's seeking, seeking God, and, and he starts reading this thing that Jeremiah wrote. And Jeremiah says something about 70 years, and this thing is going to be over. Now Daniel's thinking, well, hold the phone. I've been here for like 70 years. And so maybe, maybe just maybe, this thing is getting ready to change. Our captivity is getting ready to be over. Because I've been here. I have seen 70 years come and, gone, come and go. Now, here's what's neat about Daniel and God's Word. Him knowing and believing 
that what Jeremiah wrote was real from God. When you know God, you know the writing of God. When you know the heart of God and you hear Scripture, you know it's the heart of God. Now, I tell people all the time, this right here, Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. This will tell you everything you need to know to live a quality life for God and avoid a lot of the traps that the enemy sets. But I want you to know the world is always bombarding us with information, and sometimes it sticks. It's like a spaghetti noodle. It just, and it's there. And often that stuff needs to roll off because if it does not align with this book, it should have a beacon on it that says ignore, ignore, ignore. Because we live by this book of God because we're children of God. Daniel is that guy. He knows God's word because it's just kind of, excuse me, Jeremiah wrote it and Daniel's like, yeah, that just sounds like God. Sounds like something God would say to me right now. So Jeremiah 25, this is probably what he was reading. Jeremiah 25, verse 8 says, Therefore the Lord who rules over all says, You have not listened to what I said. He says, So I, the Lord, affirm that I will send all the peoples of the north and my servant, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and all the nations that surround it. I will utterly destroy this land, its inhabitants and all the nations that surround it, and make them everlasting ruins. God says, I will make them objects of horror and hissing scorn. I will put an end to the sounds of joy and gladness, to the glad celebration of brides and grooms in these lands. I will put an end to the sound of people grinding meal. I will put an end to the lamps shining in their houses. This whole area will become a desolate wasteland. These nations will be subject to the king of Babylon for 70 years. But when the 70 years are over, I'll punish the king of Babylon and his nation for their sins. I'll make the land of Babylon an everlasting ruin. I, the Lord, affirm it. Now, that's exactly what happened. He says, I'm going to use my guy Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he wasn't always God's guy. You'll remember the story. God had to take Nebuchadnezzar, put him in the field, make him eat grass like an ox, okay? His hair got all matted. He grew fingernails like talons. And then all of a sudden, one day, when the season was over, he looked to heaven and he realized, God is big and I'm not him. And he had a, a heart of humility and God raised him up. Now, his grandson would ultimately rebel against God, take the instruments from Israel and, 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 and use them as instruments of a party and God would destroy Babylon. Okay, just like Jeremiah said. And so Daniel's now reading this stuff and he's saying, this is real. It's a true story. And that's the title of the message, True Story. Now let me tell you where the title came from. This Wednesday, we were here and... Uh, John and Patty Patterson brought us a Christmas gift in a little bag and opened it up as a Christmas ornament. And it's so cool. It's, a, it's like a clay star, okay? And on the front of it, it's like somebody drew a pencil drawing of the manger. It's got a little manger with a little straw coming out, a little stick figure, baby Jesus. And above it, it just somebody wrote, true story. And I thought, man, that's cool. You know, and that's what we do today. We're getting ready to tell somebody something. We say, hey, man, check this out. It's a true story, okay? Now, what, you know what that says? That in, implies that the last story we told that we didn't qualify it saying true story was a bunch of baloney, okay? But when we say true story, okay, it means it's true, okay? I want you to know this is it. It's a true story. It's a true story. From index to maps, okay, Genesis to Revelation, wherever you start and stop your reading, it's a true story, all right? It's God's story. Now, in this story today, Daniel prophecy, Daniel chapter 9, it's true. 
And I want you to know you can count on God's prophetic word because it's always true. Now, Daniel, like I said, he's thinking, wait a minute, I've been here for 70 years, and so something is getting ready to change. Something is getting ready to open up. Now, next. Here we go. So for a Jew, what's the significance of 70 years? What's the value of 70 years of captivity? What did he say in Jeremiah? I'm going to ruin it all. I'm going to lay Israel, make it a wasteland. There'll be no bridal, groom, wedding parties. There'll be no celebration, no feast, and no singing. I am stomping around in it and destroying it all for 70 years. Now, why 70 years? This is really cool. You may know this. If you do, you can say amen because you know it's true. Here's what happens. Why 70 years? Because when God created heavens and the earth, you'll know the story in the Genesis account, six days he worked, okay? And on the seventh day, he rested. And he told Israel, he said, listen, I want you to do the same. I want you to rest on the seventh day. I want you to give it to me. We'll call it the Shabbat, the sabbatical, the seventh day. Saturday is their seventh day. So on the seventh day, I want you to just to rest and I want you to worship me. All right? Same thing for us. Ours is Sunday because we worship Jesus' resurrection. But we're supposed to rest and worship on one day a week. That's all he says. I'm giving you seven, just give me one. Then he amplified it in the Jewish world to Israel, and he said, I don't want you just to rest on the seventh day of each week. I want a Shabbat year. The seventh year, every time seven years goes by, the seventh one I want you to give it to me. I don't want you to plow the field. I don't want you to plant the crop. I don't want you to have a harvest. I want the land to give me a seventh. I want you to give me a seventh or a Sabbath. And I want you to trust me that in what I gave you the first six years of that, I'm going to sustain you in the seventh. Now listen to this. For 490 years, they didn't do it. For 490 years, Israel said, oh, man, I'm not giving him that seventh, man. I'm plowing my field because it wasn't that good of a sixth year. I don't know what my family's going to eat year seven. Instead of trusting God and resting and giving him a seventh, they continued to do what God said not to do for 490 years. Now, if God said do it every seventh year, they've gone 490 and they hadn't done it. You know what they owe him? <laughs> do your math. 70 years, right? God says, here's what I'm going to do. You're out. I'm going to destroy it. Nobody's going to plow. That land is going to rest for 70 years. Why? Because God gets ultimately what he said he's going to get. You've heard the expression, pay me now or pay me later. That's what this is. You want to hold out that one seventh? Fine. It'll ultimately come back around. I'm going to get what I'm going to get. Listen, I preach very little on giving, but I'm very serious about giving. I'm a product of people who taught me about giving God what's his. In Malachi, God told Malachi, he says, tell your people they're robbing me. And they say, when are you robbing you? He says, you're robbing me a tenth. You're robbing me of my tithes and offerings. And God will get what's ultimately his because you can pay me now or pay me later. And that's what's going on with the nation of Israel. Seventy years now, the land has been lying untilled, unplanted, unharvested, giving God his Sabbath. Look at 2 Chronicles, what it says about it. It says, this took place to fulfill. The 70 years took place to fulfill the Lord's message delivered through Jeremiah. The land experienced its sabbatical years. It remained desolate for 70 years as prophesied. God 
is going to get what's his, and he does it. He paints a picture for us in the life of his people, the nation of Israel. It's just a true story. It's the way it plays out. And so now, uh, Daniel's still in captivity. He's been there for a long time. He's been there since he's like 13, 14, 15 years old. And now he gets a word in Daniel chapter 9 from an old friend. And we'll cover this in January. This is what he says. He says, yeah, I was studying, and I didn't know what I was reading. And then a man that I met just a few chapters ago in another vision, he came and helped me. You know who this man is? He met a few. It wasn't Jesus. It's Gabriel. Now he's referring to Gabriel, the most powerful of all of the angelic realm as you know, he's my BFF, okay? He comes to help me understand. So yeah, he came back to tell me. And so now in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, Gabriel is going to help Daniel see what's getting ready to happen in the future. And it includes you. Tell the person next to you, this includes me. Tell them. It does. True story. Okay, watch this. Verse 24, Gabriel helps Daniel see Seventy weeks have been determined. Seventy weeks have been determined. Set aside, marked off, allocated. Concerning your people, the nation of Israel, the Jews, and your holy city, the temple, and Jerusalem, to put an end to rebellion. Okay? At the end of these 70 weeks, which I'll explain in a minute, there should be an end of rebellion. To bring sin to completion, uh, sin will be annihilated. To atone for all iniquity. To bring in perpetual righteousness. That's a cool expression. To seal up the prophetic vision. It's all complete, no more to be written. And to anoint a most holy place. Now he goes on, he says, So know and understand this, Daniel, church, me, you. He says, From the issuing of a command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until an anointed one, a prince, who will be Jesus, will arrive. He says there will be a period of seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, if your head's not spinning yet, then you're a whole lot smarter than me. All right? It will again be built with plaza and moat, but in distressful times. Now, after these 62 weeks, which followed the seven weeks, <laughs> he says an anointed one will be cut off. The prince is going to be cut off and he'll have nothing. This is all prophecy. This is all, this is all years and years and years before any of this happened. He says, as for the city and the sanctuary, the people of the coming prince, different prince, another coming prince, will destroy them. But his end will come speedily like a flood until the end of the war that has been decreed. There will be destruction. He will, he will confirm a covenant. Who? The second prince, the world's prince, the Antichrist, confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, he will bring sacrifices and offerings to a halt. On the wing of abominations will come one who destroys until the decreed end is poured out on the one who destroys. True story. Now, how many of you would show of hands will say, I really don't know what that's talking about. Just be honest. Anybody not, not know what that's talking about? Okay, some of you that did not raise your hand, come on up here and tell them what it means because I ain't got a clue. Come on. If you didn't raise your hand, get up here. Explain it. Okay? It ain't that easy. It's heavy. That's why I said I hope you brought your thinking, your thinking cap this morning. I need you to lean in. Okay, we're going to unpack some stuff, discover some stuff, and it'll help you hopefully encourage you and challenge you to have more faith in God than you've ever had in your life. 
So going back to the very beginning, this says your people and your holy tent, your holy cities. Talking about Jerusalem and Israel. Seventy years of judgment is not for you. Tell your tell your neighbor this. Seventy years is not for you. It's for Israel. It's for uh, the Jews. All of it. Okay. Now, if we want to know what this means, then we got to look up here and see what he's talking about when he said seventy weeks. Okay. When he says seventy weeks, are you ready? In the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, it refers to a word, instead of 70 weeks, as 77s, okay? So the word weeks here is a unit of seven years, right? One week has seven days, but when he refers to it prophetically, it's referring to seven years per week, all right? Now, in the Hebrew, the word for this is called Shabuah. Now, that's a good one. That's an East Tennessee cool Hebrew word. Try it. Say Shabuah. Yeah, Shabuah right back at you. All right, don't that sound cool? I love some of those words. All right, it's called a Shabuah. Okay, and, and, and I know God laughs when he hears me even say, remotely say anything in Hebrew because I am a hick of Shabuah. So it, in, in common day in Greek, we might refer to it as 70 heptads. Hept meaning, meaning seven, seven units. So 70 units or 70 groups of seven years apiece. So here, a week equals seven years. I need you to understand that. Tell, you, tell your neighbor, a week equals seven years. So if we're talking about that, why, why does he use these strange words? The same reason we use strange words now, okay? We say a pair, right? Hey, uh, I know she got a new pair of glasses. It means if, if you have one eye, it would be a monocle, right? A, a pair, you know? I need a new pair of socks for Christmas, right? So it means you're getting two, not three socks, unless you're strange, okay? A pair means two. The only time I was thinking about this, I don't get something. Help me, enlighten me. Why do you wear a pair of underwear? Hey, I got this one, okay? I don't know. You chop a leg off, what do you call it then? Just plain underwear, no pair? I don't know, okay? But for the most part, when we say pair, we know we mean not three, not four, not one, but two. In prophecy, when you say weeks, it implies... Uh, one year per day of the week, units of seven years. So here's what he's trying to say here. He's saying, uh, he's saying 70 units of seven years apiece. Mathematician, how many years is that? 490, all right? Now, in the middle of this thing, he throws a wrench in there that if you, when you're reading it, you're saying, what is he talking about? First he says, so there's going to be like seven weeks, and then there's going to be 62 weeks, and you're thinking, okay, 62 and 7, that's 69. I thought he said 70 weeks. Anybody catch that? We're missing something here. So check this out. He says, this, if we want to know when it's going to end, it helps to know when it started, right? When did it start? He said there will be a time, there will be a decree uh, to rebuild the temple. And he says after that you'll see all these cool things. Uh, you'll see sin annihilated, perpetual righteousness, a holy place anointed, all these things that hadn't happened. Jesus will make them happen one day. So when did this thing happen? He says when there's a decree to rebuild the temple. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find people like Ezra who were shipped back to the nation of Israel, to the Holy Land, out of captivity, but they didn't rebuild the temple. They didn't rebuild the wall. But you keep reading, there's a guy that we taught from. His name is Nehemiah, right? And Nehemiah, you're, you might remember the story. It's amazing. He is cupbearer to the king in the citadel, of, in Susa of the citadel. 
And he goes before the king with a sad countenance. You don't do that with the king. You're supposed to be happy you went to king. But he shows up sad and the king says, what's the matter, Nehemiah? I see it in your face. And he goes into this real heavy sadness, almost being depressed. And he said, well, my people are scattered and my homeland is destroyed. The walls are down and the gates are burned and I feel compelled to do something about it. And Artaxerxes, who is the king, he's in his 20th year of reign. It's 445 B.C. He started in 465 B.C., 465 years before Jesus got here. Artaxerxes became king. And now he's been king for 20 years. It's 445 B.C. It's March 30th, uh, March 14th of 445 B.C. And he says, okay, you can go. And, and so Nehemiah goes on. He says, well, if I go, uh, they're going to try to kill me. I need some help. He says, no problem. I'll send soldiers, an entourage with you. And then he's like, well, that's awesome, but I'm just coming out of captivity. I, I'm going to need to build a kingdom. I need like an unlimited card to like Home Depot, okay, because I'm going to have to buy some materials, right? And so the king says, no problem. Here's you a letter. Everybody that holds the lumber, everybody that holds the stone, you take this letter, and they're required, mandated, decreed, to give you everything you need to build the temple. Now, this is cool. March 14th, 445 B.C., 20 years into Artaxerxes' reign, there's a decree to build the temple. Tick-tock, tick-tock. 490 years start slipping away. Now, this is cool, all right? So 490 years starts ticking. Now, what's this? Seven units, he says, of seven years. That's the first 49 of the 490, right? One-tenth. Guess how long it took Nehemiah to build the walls. He built the walls in 52 days, a miracle of God. But guess how long it took him to complete the walls, the gates, the temple, and everything in Israel? 49 years. That's the first week. And then he goes on and he said, now there's going to be 60... Two more units of seven years or 434 more years from that from when the temple's built listen until the prince shows up and makes himself known okay that's cool all right so jesus now is going to show up in 434 years from the time that the temple and the walls are complete right are you with me say i am if you're not say i'm not it's okay we're going to keep moving forward so now we're counting, man. We're getting our calendar out. We're looking forward. Because, so if we say, okay, it's 445 B.C., March 14th, let's go forward 400 uh, and, uh, excuse me, yeah, 483 years, which is the 7 and the 62. Something big's going to happen. Get your calendar out. It lands on, wah, 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 A.D. 38. As Judson says, my grandson, when something doesn't work out, he says, well, that didn't work you know, you're thinking, man, this is God. I'm going to count, get my calendar out, count some years, and boom, Jesus is on here. He's in the house. No, Jesus has already been here. Jesus has been crucified in 38 AD. Jesus had been resurrected. Jesus had ascended to heaven. Uh, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in 38 AD. Sure, the church is on fire, spreading around the world, but Jesus is not being revealed. This is where it gets really cool, okay? Now, I want, to, I want to say this. Sometimes 
we have to warn ourselves not to massage things to come up with the answer that we want. You know, like the number 666, being your husband. You know, you got to throw that initial in there. You know, and well, he's, that didn't work. That didn't work. So I'm going to add Mr. in there, whatever. Now I got 666. I told you you were the Antichrist. Okay, we got to be careful not to massage it too much or manipulate the formula. So what happens when people come along like Sir Robert Anderson and they write a book called The Coming Prince, who is a mathematician and historian? Well, what happens when a guy named uh, Harold Honer comes in and writes a book called The Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ? Again, a mathematician and historian. Here's what happens. They ask a really good question. How long is a year? And if I ask you how long a year is, you would say 300 65 days, the time it takes for the earth to orbit around the sun, right? That's what you would say, but that's not totally right. It's actually 365 days, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds. Did you know that? And so to account for those extra minutes and seconds along the way, what do we do every now and then? We have a what kind of year? A leap year. All that is is a calendar adjustment, all right? Now, when you go back into the Old Testament, this is cool. You have to study to find this, but it's in there. It's real. It's solid. All right? A year didn't have 365 days. It had 360 days. I like the way they did their math. You know why they did 360 days? You got 12 months, 30 days per month. Isn't that so much cooler than 28 in February? Who thought of that? Okay, 31 over here. And so to learn now, to know, if you want to know how many days are in a month, you learn some kind of little ditty that I never learned, learned but it sounds like this. And September. Anybody know that song? Shame on you for learning that song. Okay? Wouldn't it have been much easier if somebody says, hey, how many days are in June? 30. Hey, how many days are in February? 30. No, not us. Okay? Because we got to get close, and we still have to have a leap year. All right? Now listen, in Old Testament days, India, Babylon, Assyria, China, among others, you know how many days they had in a year? 360. Watch this. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, it affirms a 30-day month, a 360-day year. How do I know? You remember the Genesis account when Noah is getting ready to be wiped out or the earth is getting ready to be wiped out and Noah is called to build the, uh, this big boat? All right. The Bible says it was on the 17th of February when the rain started. And then on the 17th of July, the rain stopped. That's how many months? Five. And then two places it says, so the rain was on the earth for 150 days. Five divided by, excuse me, 150 divided by five is what? 30. It, it's there. We're not massaging it. Now, all that groundwork, redefining the year. So now let's go back to March 14th, 445 B.C., and now let's say 483 years at 360 days per year. By the way, they had a leap year too. It's just much bigger. They adjusted it much more. So what you do is you end up with 173,880 days. Okay? So if you start at March uh, 14th, 445 B.C., and you go running forward 177,000 or 173,880 days. You know where you land? March the 30th, 33 A.D. Now it gets cool. Something is supposed to happen on March 30th, 33 A.D. The prince is supposed to be revealed, the Messiah. You ready? 
Read your Bible. All four Gospels record an account that happened on this day in history. True story. Jesus tells his disciples to go downtown and pick up his ride. He's already reserved him a rental. Okay, go pick it up, bring it to me. It's a donkey. It's a colt. They bring it back. He gets on it, and he rides into Jerusalem on this colt, right? And the people start going nuts. They start singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, just like Zechariah the prophet said would happen, just like Daniel, just like Jeremiah. True story. He rides in. They throw their clothes on the road. They throw the palm branches. It's Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into town. They're singing Hosanna, which means this is the Messiah. Now keep in mind, pause. You read the rest of the Gospels. Every time Jesus does something cool and miraculous, the people say, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And you know what he says? Quiet down, don't tell nobody. This is not my day. This is not my hour. This is not my time. He says it all the time. This is not my hour, okay? Don't tell nobody. And if they try to, he just kind of disappears. But on this day, they're, they're singing, Hosanna, he's the Messiah. And the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, you need to rebuke them for calling you Messiah. You know what Jesus says? He says, if they don't say it, the rocks of the field are going to cry it out. You know why? Because this is my day. This is the day on the calendar that completes 483 years. This is my day that gets us finished with seven years of rebuilding and 434, whatever it was, the other part of 62, the 62 weeks of years. This is my time. I'm here. Now keep in mind, the scripture, the prophecy goes on and says, now, as soon as that happens, it says he's going to be cut off. Right? What does it mean in the Old Testament? But Old Testament, to be cut off, it means to be killed. Was Jesus killed? Sure he was. A brutal, bloody cross almost as soon as he surfaced as the Messiah. It goes on and it says he will have nothing. Did he have anything? He had no friends. He had no disciples. He had no money. He had no clothes. They stripped him naked. While on the cross, he says, I thirst. He had no, no water. They buried him in a borrowed tomb. He had nothing. He was cut off. And then it says, the people of the coming prince will burn the temple down. A.D. 70, Rome, you remember the fourth beast that the Antichrist comes from, the future prince? Rome went in and completely burned down Jerusalem and the temple, just like the Bible said. Why? Because it's a true story. Now, we'll keep moving. Uh, keep in mind, this is 539 B.C., and... and here we go. The question is, the question is, has everything happened just like God said it would happen so far? It always does. What? True story. I want you to understand something. Even when you don't understand it, it's still true. Even when people push back against it, the Bible says, let all men be a liar and God be true. God is always true. God is always telling a true story. Now watch what happens in verse 27. He says, He will confirm a covenant with many for a week. How long did we say a week was in prophetic terminology? Seven years. He says, He will confirm a covenant with many people for seven years. But in the middle of that seven years, 
He will bring sacrifices and offerings to a halt. On the wing of abominations will come one who destroys until the decreed end is poured out on the one who destroys. So here it is. Daniel describes 69 of the 70 weeks, right? And, and at, when Jesus rode in on a donkey, that was the end of the first 69. What about that other week? It hadn't happened yet. It's almost as if when they drove nails into Jesus' hands and nails into Jesus' feet while on the cross, it's almost like there was a nail driven in God's prophetic time clock. And it just went tick-tock, tick-tock. And it's a pause. Now this is where it gets really cool. There's still a week out there, man. And it still is reserved not for Christians, not for God believers and God chasers, not for the blood-bought, born-again child of God. It's still reserved for Israel, the unrepentant, unbelieving Jew. It's still reserved for unbelieving mankind. But why the pause? This is beautiful. This is where you come into the story. This is where I come into the story. Are you ready? God said, Israel, I introduced myself to the world through you. That was my goal. And you squandered it. You rejected it. You rebelled at me at every turn. You took my Messiah, which I told you about in the Old Testament, and you nailed him to a tree. Now, why didn't they see Daniel? Why didn't they see all this in Daniel? Because the priest refused to allow the Jew to read the book of Daniel. In fact, they issued a curse on anybody who would read Daniel and try to understand it. Why? Because they're held captive by the enemy. So here's what happened. The clock stopped, and we're in this pause between the end of week 69 and the beginning of week 70. God said, Israel, you didn't want it. I'll take it back. And he passed it on to the Gentile world. And it's called the age of the church. What Israel wouldn't do, what Israel failed to do, what Israel rejected, God saw fit to give to you and to me. Cool, son, that's sweet. And here it is this week, we're celebrating Christmas. It was Jesus coming to this world, the greatest gift ever given. And I want you to know God didn't. He wasn't required to give you or me or us another chance. He wasn't required to offer us the greatest gift ever given, but he did. And so you got to ask yourself a question then. If we're headed, if we're missing a week, let's think about the first 69 weeks. Were there four kingdoms, as prophecy said, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome? Sure there were. True story. Did Nebuchadnezzar reign for 70 or reign over the nation of Israel only to be annihilated as a kingdom when his grandson took over? Sure he did. Why? Because it's a true story. Did moving forward, did, did the nation of Israel continue and rebuild the temple under Nehemiah? Sure they did. True story. Did ultimately the prince show up AD 33, according to Scripture? He did. True story. Was he cut off almost as soon as he showed up? Nailed to a tree. True story. Did, did Rome, did he have anything? Nothing. True story. Did Rome burn down temple number two? 
They did. True story. And here we are. And I want you to know there's another seven years coming. Now, how do you fit into that? You have the gift of Jesus Christ if you're a believer. You've received that gift. And your job is to share it with a lost and dying world. That's it. And we, until, that, until that bell rings and the clock starts ticking again, you hold within you the greatest story ever told. And God wants you, He wants to use you to share it with a lost and dying world. When I was 10 years old, I was sitting in a church on a, a, a weeknight. And I didn't go to get saved. I didn't go to hear the gospel. I went to count windows and lights and different color hair. I was wired. But on that night, God from heaven, he funneled energy right in the depth of my soul. And he said, hey, I'm here. I love you right where you are. But I want to take you somewhere different than that. I came to that earth and I died on a cross for you. If you'll receive me, we'll go on a journey that lasts forever. I was just a little kid. I didn't go looking for that, but I found it. And he came into my life and he changed me forever. True story. My life has changed radically for eternity because of that moment when that true story of God became a true story for me. I'm forever indebted to God. I don't deserve that, and yet that's what he gave me. So here's the thing. Where are you at? Is it a true story for you? Can you leave this room today on this week of Christmas where we celebrate the, the time when Jesus came to this earth? Can you leave this building knowing with certainty that his true story, the fulfillment of this true story, is a true story for you? That you can stand before God and say, God, your true story became my true story on this day. And that story will be true for all of eternity. There's no changing it. Why is that so important? Because there is a time on God's eternal timeline when God will say, Jesus, son, the clock's getting ready to tick again. We're getting ready to tick-tock seven more years of judgment. But before I do, I want you to go get your church. I want you to go get our children that we've adopted into our kingdom. The Bible says that Jesus will descend on a cloud, stop in the air, and those that have died, those believers who have already passed away, they'll be resurrected from the ground, reunited with their spirit, which has already gone to heaven, and they'll rise. And the Bible says then those of us that remain, believers that are still alive, we will be changed in an instance, in the twinkling of an eye. We'll join them in the air and go back to heaven. Why are we going back to heaven? Because if you read Revelation chapter 6 through 19, you'll read about judgments called trumpets, vials, and bowls. It's when God pours His wrath out on the unbelieving Jews and the unbelieving world, and we're removed. 
Now, what about that verse 27? When we leave, when I'm gone and true believers are gone, people who are part of the true story, when we're gone, this world is going to get really, really crazy because they're going to be a mad exodus of people. And they're going to get confused. And that's when that little horn, the Antichrist, steps up out of the Western Europe uh, Confederacy and says, I got some answers. And he's going to make a covenant with the world. And in particular, he's going to say, Israel, it's been a long time since you had your temple. 1948, Israel became a nation again. And since 1948, I want you to know this, they have reproduced every single tool, instrument, and article required to worship in the temple again. There's only one problem. They don't have a temple. Here's another problem. Where the temple is supposed to go, there's a mosque on the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim mosque. If you're a Jew in the Holy Land, you're surrounded 800 to 1 by Muslims. But there's a day coming when this Antichrist is going to say, Israel, we're together. I'm going to move that mosque. I want you to build your temple. I want you to start worshiping again. Three and a half years, 42 months, into that seven years, that leader is going to walk in there and begin to terminate all Jews, and he's going to, be, to declare himself as God. You won't see any of that from here. I don't know if we'll see it from heaven or not, but I know at the end of that seven years, Jesus is going to come back. True story. Because the rest of it's true. We know the rest because of the past is true. We know the future un. Uh, undelivered parts are true. Jesus is going to come back with us and we're going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. Ah, that's just cool. I just love that. All right? But if it's not a true story for you, you miss all that. You miss the good stuff. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. I just want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Not to the preacher. Not to your past not to anything you've ever done, not to any prayer you've ever made or whether you've been baptized or attended church. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit of a sovereign God and let Him reveal to you whether His true story is a true story for you. And on this day, if it's not, I would encourage you, I would invite you, I would compel you to simply say, God, I know the story. I've talked about the story, but I've never truly embraced the story. I believe that Jesus came to this earth on a rescue mission for sinful people like me. I want Jesus to come into my life. I exchange my sinful life for your perfect life. I want Jesus to be my Savior, saving me from sin's curse, saving me from the penalty of my own sin. But I want Jesus to be my Lord, my boss, my master, and my king from this day forward. On this very day, on this very Christmas celebration week of the most confused year in all of our history, God, I accept your true story and I make your true story my true story as I move forward into the future. Thank you for choosing to save somebody like me. And for the rest of us, we're in that pause between 69 and 70. God wants to use you to reach a lost world. Would you do that? Would you allow yourself to be his champion?
in saving the world. Father, we thank you for this message from Daniel, from Jeremiah, from Gabriel, from Zechariah, from Jesus, from you. We thank you that although sometimes it's hard to understand it all, we can boil it all down and know this. Your story is always a true story. Help us live inside that glorious true story. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now maybe today, you kind of prayed that prayer. You're like, today's the day that I received the gift. I'm not going to invite you to come forward today because we're in a pandemic and people are scared to death of this junk. Okay? But you need to let somebody know that his story became your story today. You need to reach out to me or one of our staff members so we can encourage you in your new journey. For the rest of us, this Christmas ought to be the greatest Christmas ever because regardless of 2020 and the confused year we've had, we got a good, good God who's still on his throne and he's not worried about the corona. Amen? Amen. I want to stand. We're going to sing one song. You'll be dismissed after the announcement. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.